This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. We also host the annual Wake Up Festival, a five-day experience of transformation held in August of each year in the beautiful Rocky Mountains. You can also join our free direct access membership program and read transcripts of all of the Insights at the Edge podcasts and search our collection of podcasts with now more than 100 episodes available. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today, my guest is Chloe Goodchild. Chloe is a teacher, composer, and performer. She's founder of the Naked Voice Foundation, a charitable trust devoted to healing suffering and resolving conflict through sound. She has helped thousands of individuals worldwide improve their lives and surroundings through the powerful revelation of their true voices. With Sounds True, Chloe has created two titles, Your Naked Voice and a full audio learning course, including a DVD called Awakening Through Sound, the Naked Voice Program to Access Your Deepest Wisdom where she teaches how to fearlessly engage with your own naked voice, to listen to yourself and others with unconditional ears, to integrate heart, mind, and body, and release your full creativity. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Chloe and I spoke about the sound before sound and what the sound of ether might be like. We also discussed how she met the great Indian saint Anandamaya Ma, and the influence that this divine mother figure has had on her. Finally, we discussed her naked voice work, and she led us through a practice of listening for who is singing, a practice called One Breath, One Voice. Here's my conversation with the very beautiful Chloe Goodchild, who is speaking to me from Dartmoor in the UK. Chloe, I know that in your work with sound in recent years, you've been working to use sound in a community setting to help communities harmonize, and that you have a really big vision for this, a huge vision that sound could actually be used to help the world harmonize. And so just right here at the very beginning, could you share with us this vision of yours? Oh, well, I... I Basically, if we just take, even take a breath, that breath itself, which just comes from the absolute core of the individual, is um, the uprising of a whole mass of um, vibrations that um, arise and fall from the individual every moment of that in and out breath process and so it is really that in and out breath process is going on involuntarily all over the world 
seven billion plus human beings uh, breathing in and out as we speak. And it's that very breath that our work is most focused on these days. That breath which is able to really um, access the core of the individual consciousness and the core of the human being's capacity to love. And as I say, um, if you can breathe, you can love. And if you can love, you can sing. And it's as simple as that. And uh, I have been very blessed to work in various indigenous communities, but most notably um, in recent years in um, Ireland. And of course, as we know, the, the, the Celtic soul is uh, so profoundly uh, rooted in sound and in awareness of the sound of the soul. And we're starting to discover, um, following a request I had from Dublin City Development Board <laughs> to change the resonance of Dublin City, uh, it gave me the opportunity to really start exploring this. Now, an actual development board used language like help us change the resonance of Dublin City? That's quite unusual. <laughs> That's quite something, isn't it? I mean, you know, I almost feel like maybe only the Irish, but I, I, I'm sure uh, there are many, you know, the indigenous soul uh, would, would would have no problem with that question. And they, I literally, it was a phone call that came out of the blue, and this guy just rung me up, friend of, he was a friend of one of my, um, a colleague of one of my students in Ireland. And he rang up and he said, Chloe, we've heard about your work, and uh, we want to change the resonance of Dublin City. Can you help us? <laughs> and uh, we've been, uh, over the last several years, really exploring the question um, with uh, increasing, uh, expanding groups of people, people who are uh, thought themselves to be non-singers, quote, non-singers, um, but who were very up for the adventure. And uh, it's cooking very nicely. It's going very well. We're having some very exciting results there. Well, tell me exactly what are you doing here to change the resonance of Dublin City? Well, um, I guess I was very inspired by that wonderful um, universal uh, scientific equation that says that if you take uh, the square root of 1% of the population, uh, if that group of people have a strong enough intention and that intention is positive, uh, that positive intention can, is, uh, is powerful enough to uh, change the resonance of, so in this case, uh, Dublin is a million okay, population. So the square root of 1% of the population is 100. So I thought to myself, let's really, let's really start right there. And uh, I thought, okay, so we need a choral gathering of 100 people. And for uh, many years, I've been training uh, in, in more in-depth ways 
uh, facilitators to um, embody and, and uh, facilitate our work out there. And so we gathered a team of um, experienced Mickey Boys practitioners and facilitators and uh, then put the word out. And to our utter delight, we got our 100 people response. And uh, they came together initially for one year uh, to explore this possibility of changing the resonance of the city. And all I can tell you is it's in momentum. And I think what's being, uh, what's being really discovered is that um, it is possible for this group to uh, start developing the tools that uh, disappear the illusion that there is any um, disparity in the community at all. And that is really thanks to sound that that's happening. So we have been working with vocal tools and vocal practices and uh, taking ourselves right into the heart of Dublin. So, for example, um, we, we're, we're actually running these concerts um, on a regular basis. But as well as that, we're just literally practicing what we call practicing the presence in public. So, in other words, we've gone beyond the idea of singing equals performance and entertainment or singing equals religious uh, formalism or singing equals uh, political campaigning. And we've gone deeper than that, and we're now exploring if it's possible to uh, share singing equals practicing present moment, practicing the presence in public. So we just went up to a place called the Spire, which is right in the heart of Dublin. And this spire is this massive piece of, um, uh, I don't know quite what it's made of. It's this silver, it looks like an acupuncture needle that, that thrusts itself up into the sky. Um, I don't know, several hundred feet. And um, it's the point at which, historically, the Easter Risings, where there was this mega conflict between the Irish and the English, uh, and even in some of the buildings, there are you can still see the, 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 the bullet shots in the, in the walls and so on. So it was quite a contentious, historically contentious place to be practicing um, together. Um, and as I say, we were it's like we were in the middle of this kind of dual carriageway. So there were cars and buses roaring past on both sides, but there was this big wide pedestrian space in the middle. And uh, 70 of us were practicing just sounding what we call the seven sounds of love, which have, um, they're just like embodied uh, sound and where we're moving from the, um, through the different musical chakras and so on. And we were practicing this, and as I say, uh, Noreen Noreen, the one of the great voices of Ireland, was with us. She's a great mate and loves our work and loves coming to join us. And um, so we were just there. It was quite relaxed. Uh, everyone was practicing, and it has a kind of the actual look um, of the movements and so on, have a kind of Tai Chi kind of look to them. They're actually energetic uh, movements. Uh, and there is a movement that represents each note of the scale, 
each musical chakra from the root right up to the sky. And the aim of this, these movements is to embody the sound, is to strengthen the body to sing, you know, on all levels of consciousness from the root, from the earth to the sky. So we were practicing all together, 70 of us, uh, and um, we were doing it silently, the movements silently. Sometimes we were singing. Sometimes we were just practicing the movements. And into the middle of this um, experience comes uh, a major dignitary from the um, cathedral in Dublin who happens to know Noreen really well. And Noreen sees him coming towards us, and he just happens to be crossing the road at that moment. And he sees Noreen, and she goes, oh, Chloe, oh, oh my God, oh, my God. <laughs> and she's just slightly nervous as to how he's going to respond to uh, what's going on. And um, at this, by this point, the whole group is, is singing uh, with, with the accompanying movements. They're singing How I Love You coming down the scale. And um, uh, this uh, religious dignitary comes over, and he sees Noreen, and, and, and he goes, uh, hey, Noreen. And by that point, she has to acknowledge him. And she she goes, well, hi, how are you? And he and he looks at her a little bit dismayed and says, you know, what are you doing here? What's going on? And so Noreen just sort of turns his attention to the group and, and she says, well, just listen, listen. And uh, he turns around and he's with his the, this incredible organist that um, plays at the cathedral with him. And um, they turn around and they listen. And um, Noreen is obviously a little apprehensive as to how he's going to respond. But um, he turns back to her and he looks completely, his face is reddened and he's quite affected by the energy of what's going on. And he turns back and he looks at her and he just says, my God, he says, this is, this is the, this is, this is prayer. This is this is the voice of God. And uh, he goes, we should be doing this in church. <laughs> and uh, Noreen, by that point, is kind of really um, quite relaxed and, and pleased that he, he's been so touched by by this gathering and by this movement. And so we then continue our practice, and he disappears. Um, and later on that evening, I tell the story at the um, more formalized concert that we have um, that evening. And I tell this story and just say how we were practicing together in up at the spire and, and how this um, this uh, dean of the cathedral, whoever he was, uh, came and so on. And uh, what a delight it was that he was so responsive and, and really enjoyed it. And... Uh, even went so far as to say that we should be doing things like this in, in our churches. And uh, at the end of the concert, this guy came rushing up to me in the, in, in the, um, in the audience. And he, he took me by the hand. He said, you don't realize, you don't realize what actually, that was not the end of the story. He said, I was in church with him later on that day, he said. Uh, and uh, he actually had, was trying to do the same practices in church. He'd stopped the entire service and was practicing these How I Love You movements with the entire congregation in the cathedral. <laughs> so it was just a lovely moment of how, you know, um, the simple presence 
uh, can have such a magnetic and such a positive impact just in such an ordinary but quite extraordinary way. Now, Chloe, you used this interesting phrase for this work that you're doing. You said that it's forming a singing field. That's a very curious phrase to me, a singing field. Can you explain that? Mm-hmm. Well, I guess um, the, 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 the word field um, is, is used increasingly now in terms of uh, describing fields of energy, um, interconnected fields of energy and so on. And so this is simply a singing field where that experience of uh, oneness and all-inclusiveness uh, that arises from um, shared sound um, and shared presence, actually, uh, prior to sound, uh, is is what's going on there. And um, originally, uh, Coleman Barks, the Rumi poet, and I used to tour together quite a lot. And obviously, that wonderful Rumi poem, Out Beyond Ideas of Right and Wrongdoing, There is a Field, it's, it's actually, his original is Out Beyond Ideas of Wrongdoing and Rightdoing, There is a Field. I'll meet you there. And uh, I used to, he, he used to recite and I used to sing with him quite a lot. And eventually I thought, my, I found myself um, actually on Whidbey Island at some point singing that uh, poem. And it turned into um, this song, Out Beyond Ideas of Right and Wrongdoing. Out beyond ideas of right and wrongdoing, there is a field. A singing field. I'll meet you there. I'll meet you there. I'll meet you there. And so that just sort of came, and the song and everything came with it. So I wrote to Coleman uh, Barks, and I just said, um, would it be okay if I just slightly edit the words and um, adapt that poem so that it has more... um, specific significance for the work we're doing, as in a field that of energy, of shared presence, that is generated and inspired by the shared sound. So that's how the two, the, the, the term uh, singing field, the phrase got coined like that. Now, in the beginning of our conversation, Chloe, you mentioned that if someone can breathe, they can love, and if they can love they can sing. And I have to say, I was totally with you in terms of breathing and loving. That made sense to me. But when we moved from <laughs> loving to singing, I had a moment, I thought, well, look, I can love, but I don't know if I can sing. <laughs> well, um, I just heard you singing right there, actually. I mean, you know, you were apparently speaking, but what was really interesting was what happened to the energy of your voice when you were very authentically just and sincerely asked that question more emphatically, your voice, uh, you know, the phrase, if you were to sing that, um, it went, it sort of rose and fell in this really quite impassioned way. Now that for me is singing. You don't, I mean, singing really doesn't mean this kind of um, more, you know, la-la-la thing that we do um, in a kind of performative sense. It can be just as you spoke just then. That, for me, is a kind of singing. Uh, It's really about the expression of feeling, the feelings of the soul. That's really what singing is about for us. 
uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be this uh, la 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 da 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 da, you know. Um, but it can be, you know. Um, I heard you singing. Did you? Did you do that? Yeah, I think you're redefining singing for me, which is quite interesting. Uh huh. Yeah. That that essentially is what I would say. Uh, our work is about is really to redefine uh, what singing truly means, which is to express the vibration of the soul, and that's of course why poetry, uh, I would I would imagine, has been so unbelievably, particularly love poetry, and particularly the kind of ecstatic love poetry that's coming through these uh, Rumi poems and the Hafiz and and all of that. Um, is so appealing to people uh, because it's like a bridge between um, our, you know, ordinary, everyday, habitual speaking voice and, uh, you know, which is more dominated, our communication there, speaking, is more dominated by the personality, the habitual mind, the um, a sense of separateness, a sense of... Uh, you know, and probably what accompanies that are a lot of stories around how someone once in childhood told us we couldn't sing. Um, and it saddens me that this thing called singing has been so separated from um, what essentially uh, is everyone's birthright, which is soul communication, the communication of the soul. Um, and in the Bardic traditions, uh, the indigenous world, there's no separation between speaking and singing. You know, it's a seamless communication. Hmm. Now, you said something else that I found very intriguing. You were emphasizing the importance of the presence and the quality of presence that there is before the voice even comes to birth and how that part of the singing field is bringing people together in that state of presence, even before sound is made. And I wonder if you could speak more about that. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, well, I mean, that for me really is uh, where, is really at the root and the source of this work, is is about falling in love with silence. It's about falling in love with our pre-verbal sound with who we are before sound is even uttered. So the whole question, who am I? Um, which um, so easily spills out on the habitual mind. You know, oh, well, I'm, I'm so-and-so. I'm a plumber. I'm a, I'm a something. I'm a very important person. I'm a very unhappy person. I'm a very ah, joyous person. I'm a very successful. I'm a very lonely person. All those things. Prior to that, uh, prior to the way that we separate ourselves from our uh, true nature, is this connection with um, what's uh, very deeply um, referred to in the Eastern and ancient traditions as the inner sound, uh, the Nada Brahma, the um, sound before sound. Um, and I am really fascinated that the the, the Mayans uh, elders have just come out with this message recently um, 
around how that inner sound and our connection to that inner sound is going to be one of the most essential tools for humanity as we progress uh, from this, you know, Kali Yuga era into a whole new era uh, that they're referring to as the fifth sun. Um, you know, but what really interests me is they're speaking about how essential this inner sound is, um, and they talk about it as the sound of ether. The one element that we tend to um, uh, leave in outer space, so to speak, uh, we think of ether as being out there in space. But um, in the mystical traditions, the etheric sound or the sound of ether, the inner sound, the Nada Brahma, is practiced uh, by mystics and um, by people like ourselves who are very fascinated by uh, this um, exploration of who is singing and who is sounding and who am I anyway, um, to discover that this sound of ether, um, which for which Hazrat Inayat Khan says, the sound of ether is the one element for which the human body is the musical instrument. And I just love that. So our connection with silence, that inner sound, the sound before sound, is going to be absolutely critical in terms of how we uh, navigate um, the increasing challenges that we face in the world. Um, so I've made a bit of a leap there in terms of the conversation we're having. No, but, it's actually um, uh, what you're saying is very, very beautiful to me. And if I was to just pick it apart a little bit, I mean, I think the question, who is singing or who is speaking, yeah. who is making the sound? So that's a question you work with quite a lot in your work. And it does seem quite mysterious. Who is this? But now this other thing that you're saying, which is the sound of ether, is that a sound that has no audible quality to it? That's right. It's um, no audible in the ordinary sense uh, of like listening, like la, you know, not like that. Um, so it's a sound that the human body basically is the vibrational uh, like sounding board for. It's the receiver of. And um, for example, uh, there's a practice that you can do uh, when you wake up in the morning. Uh, it, for some reason, it's a very, very good time to practice this. Uh, when you wake up in the morning, you may well be familiar with this. You listen to um, that inaudible sound. And you listen to it. Uh, it's like a very, very, to put it crudely, it's like a very high-pitched sound, like the kind of sound you might listen to if you put a shell to your ear. Okay. When I put a shell to my ear, I hear more like the ocean or something like that. Yeah, it, well, it is. I mean, I'm, as I say, I'm trying to make it, I'm sort of speaking about it as if it's a little denser than it actually is. But that's a kind of key. Uh, that sound that you hear, which is like this really high-pitched sound, but it's, it's inaudible, as in, it's in you're hearing it inside yourself. Um, 
and you're hearing it, the, the ears are the initial location for it. But with practice, the whole surface area of the body becomes a location for it. And your whole body starts to become aware of itself as a vibrational field of silence. Um, does that make you It know? does. It's very beautiful. Thank you, Chloe. Uh-huh. It's like, a, it's like a flowing wave. And the sound leads us back to our molecular structure, if you like. It leads us back to that awareness that is not this heavy, dense body. But nevertheless, it, it obviously acknowledges that and it needs the body in order to, um, to be conscious of itself. So um, the human body at that point becomes a sacred temple of sound, really. It becomes uh, its own consciousness. It becomes aware of its own consciousness through this sound. That might be a better way to say it. Mm -hmm. Now, there's one other thing that you've mentioned that I think it would be good to make more explicit, which is this connection between loving and this inaudible sound and then the audible sound that we have the opportunity to make. How do you see that? How is love part of this? Well, love... Rumi says... uh, Love, there are no words for love. Um, Love, I would say, is the unifier. It is this wondrous power that uh, exists before the mind. And the soul has the... uh, it, it, it offers the soul an opportunity to express itself. Um, love is like the tuning fork between the inner and the outer sound. Mm-hmm. And it leads us from a state of unmanifest being into manifestation. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Um, there's a beautiful poem that goes, the flute of interior time is played whether we hear it or not. What we mean by love is its sound coming in. When love hits the farthest edge of excess, it reaches a wisdom. And oh, the fragrance of that knowledge. It penetrates our thick bodies. It goes through walls. It has a structure as if a million suns were arranged inside it. This sound has truth in it. Where else have you heard a sound like this? It's something like that. Where else have you heard a sound like this? The sound of love coming into the body. That brings us really into the whole territory of the power of sound and singing um, as a vehicle of intimacy. Intimacy is essentially with ourselves, 
uh, but then of course uh, in terms of developing conscious human relationships and um, that's another very important dimension of, of what we're speaking about and, and obviously in our work that's what's going on what I love about singing is is that it doesn't require an outer object of love um, I mean obviously it's beautiful to sing uh, uh, you know, in in whatever relationships with one's children, with uh, one's elders, with one's lovers, one's colleagues, uh, we have we've just started working in the corporate world, and that's really exciting. Um, but uh, the beauty of singing uh, is that it is um, an experience of uh, it. It offers the experience of self-containment. You know, a self-containment. Uh, where you can just express love for its own joy. You know, the soul is here for its own joy, says Robert Bly. Um, and that, for me, is one of its most essential gifts. Is it's, It offers each of us uh, the opportunity to really engage with our um, aloneness um, without the need for an outer object uh, of longing or belonging, you know. Uh, it just has a, it has a life of its own. Picking up on this idea of a song that can create intimacy, you know, Chloe, you and I spent time together about seven years ago, and there was yes. one song that I heard from you at that time that has stuck with me through all these years. And so even though we wow. haven't been in touch, this song that I heard from you has stayed with me and continues to play inside my being. And it's the oh. chant to Ananda Mahima. And oh. I want to play that for our listeners. But before we do, I was wondering if you could introduce both your relationship to Ananda Mahima and this chant. Oh, I'd be so happy to do that. Thank you. Um, she is uh, Ananda Mai Ma, uh, which means the Blissful Mother. Uh, she was one of the great luminaries of the 20th century India. She was a wild, uh, ecstatic saint. Uh, she had 24 ashrams in, in India. She was a great, uh, played a very significant role in terms of the evolution of the sacred feminine. Uh, she was a counselor to the whole Nehru dynasty uh, and to Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi himself. Um, she was a great light uh, in India in the 20th century. And she was uh, my transforming spiritual mentor, you could say. Uh, so my uh, my life and my work, which is primarily... Uh, dedicated to the sacred feminine, inspired by um, the mighty uh, mother of being that she uh, mirrored to me. Now, she's a mentor figure for you, but you actually never met her in person, in the flesh. This was, this was true, and uh, it's one of the great mysteries. Um, I'm told that it's quite an auspicious thing to not have met her in this lifetime uh, because as a Westerner uh, she was uh, confined 
she had no guru. She self-initiated herself. She was a very unusual uh, spiritual um, figure, uh, and she was a highly beautiful woman in India. And I think traditional uh, religious ashramic India, the Orthodox world, really didn't know what to do with her because she was so unique and so unbounded, unfettered. Um, so they created these really quite um, strong Orthodox ashramic uh, communities around her, I think as a means of protecting her uh, at one level, uh, but also uh, to ensure the, the, what this actually um, created for Westerners was quite a difficult relationship with her, apparently, uh, because Westerners were not seen as uh, being so worthy of her attention as were the immediate Indian community. So uh, she, I encountered her in dreams, and uh, there are many, many stories of many people who have encountered her in dreams as well. Um, and I think she clearly is an archetypal presence, as are other great feminine archetypal presences in our time, um, and very significantly so, uh, given the state of the planet. Uh, so she has been, you know, if you like, the embodiment of Mother Earth and of the Fierce Mother, of the Fierce and Gentle Mother, of the Blissful Mother. So the words themselves uh, are this chant, uh, Om Anandamaya means uh, praise to the Blissful Mother, Chaitanyamai means praise to the Enlightened or Awakened Mother, uh, Satyamai, Mother of True Being. Parameshwari, the mother beyond all form. And it's to that one um, that I bow. And we're going to hear the chant in just one moment. But before we do, I just want to underscore how unusual it is, but also how important it is, I think, to show the strength of what kind of mentorship can happen through the dream state. Absolutely, absolutely. My goodness, I had no knowledge of this before I encountered her um, in a dream. The first dream of her was when I was lying on the seashore, uh, sleeping out um, at the my late 30s uh, in on Crete, the island of Crete, which of course is a great, uh, uh, it's a sacred uh, place for the, uh, the sacred feminine very much uh, honored as a an island of the sacred feminine so it's perhaps not surprising that she first appeared there and then uh, with uh, our dear friend Ramdas who we used to bring to Europe he then showed uh, a slideshow of the great saints of the 20th century at one of our retreats and uh, Ananda Mai was one of the slides uh, and when I saw her image um, I just disintegrated, and uh, life has never been the same again. Okay, let's listen to this chant. It's from Awakening Through Sound, which is a five-session audio learning course through Sounds True that Chloe created. And as part of it, there's an introduction to several different mantras that are sung and several different chants, including this universal mother chant to Anandamaya Ma.
Now, it's interesting, Chloe, that you mentioned what it was like when you saw Anandamaya Ma's picture and how you said you quote-unquote disintegrated. And I wonder, in a similar way, what it might be like when people hear certain sounds, the impact mm-hmm. that can have on them, like a photo. Yes. What do you think about that? Yeah, I really like that. I really like that. I think you are onto the absolute core conversation because um, certainly uh, our relationship between the audible and the visible, um, listening with seeing, you know, sound, movement, that is, uh, if you like, the fineness vibration color and sound and uh, that we can really access our essential nature through. I remember once listening to the great flautist, uh, Theresia Hari Prasad, and um, uh, it was after hearing his flute uh, that I could, I just couldn't sleep for three nights. You know, it was so powerful um, as a you know, it was a real catalyst for um, a more awakened consciousness. Uh, so with another wonderful Pakistan Sufi singer, Sidi Kawan, and all he was doing was singing six notes over and over and over again, and it was like drilling into the center of my chest, you know. Um, yes, sound, I would say, as much, if not more so, I must say, in those days, uh, way back, it was now over 20 years ago, um, I was sent, in fact, Ramdas sent, uh, had the German publishers of this wonderful photographic essay of Anandamai. Uh, they had this book sent to me, and when I saw these images of her, all the other ones, like the whole photographic uh, stills of her life from young womanhood uh, into eldership, uh, oh, I, I just had them everywhere in my house. And uh, when I eventually went to India and to meet all the devotees that had been with her for decades, I said, do you think if I just keep staring at these images uh, that my mind will just be dissolved in her presence? And, um, you know, there was a strong strong support for that. And uh, um, by the grace of God, there, there was... Um, that that grace was given for a period of time, for a temporary period of time, two three months. The mind actually disappeared. And uh, what do you mean by that, Chloe? That your mind disappeared for two or three months? I mean, you were clearly still going to the grocery store and stuff. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, that is what was so fascinating about it, was that the uh, ordinary mind disappeared, this sense of uh, Chloe as the personal doer, as the controller of her reality, disappeared. Um, whereas this, uh, there was this intelligence prior to Chloe, personality of Chloe, who, who thought she was Chloe, um, there was this intelligence that existed behind that that was able to uh, move the body around, you know, pay the bills, run the workshops, uh, bring up my daughter, um, even still. And that was very interesting to me. 
Uh, that was where I first really discovered what the witness consciousness means. How would you say the witness consciousness plays a role in the naked voice work that you teach? It's absolutely central to it. Uh, there's no question in my mind that sound is one of the most effective ways uh, and, and either poetic or sung sound, um, as in free, unstructured sound, um, is one of the fastest ways of accessing this faculty of attention called the witness. Um, and it is not doesn't seem to be something we're born with exactly, as in that it seems to be something we have to remember and relearn throughout our lives if there is enough hunger for it and enough self-determination to find it. Um, and so certainly in the work uh, that we do with the Naked Voice, I'm very aware that, you know, you can have as many amazing experiences of your voice, uh, you know, to talk about at uh, dinner parties and conversations, social conversations about how dramatic you were and how impressive you were and how inspiring you were. But unless you can make the connection between who is singing and, and that silence that comes in when the singing stops, uh, you've missed something very essential. Uh, it's really what interests me is that how singing is really an excuse to rediscover the witness, that part of ourselves that can really observe oneself and another without judging. Uh, and it comes quite naturally to the human, uh, to all and every human being. Like if they, if you, if you practice, one of our practices, for example, is just to, is just to sing one breath, one voice. And if you just sing like one breath and you just let that sound go on for as long as you like, you get to the end of it. And most people are not very familiar with doing something like that. Uh, when you get to the end of that sound, there is such a thunderous silence. And what naturally comes, the, the first question that comes out of the body is, who was that? And that, for me, is a great indicator of uh, first stage of waking up, you know, or um, it's a diagnostic, you know, that you are waking up when that question comes in. Who was that? You know, whereas you can just say, who am I, who am I, who am I, in a kind of mental way, in a kind of uh, more conventional meditative sense and that also is another route but there's something about the singing voice that really accesses that question very fast and it's interesting to me that clearly a big part of the naked voice work has to do with listening and so what i'm curious about is if you were to help somebody increase their ability to listen whether it's listening for who is singing, whether it's listening to another. How would you do that? How can the listener right now become a better listener, in your view? Mm. I would encourage every single person uh, in this conversation, listening and engaging in this conversation with us, to simply uh, engaging in this one 
breath, one voice utterance. Can you actually take us through it, Chloe? Can we do the practice of one breath, one voice together? Can you talk us through it? Sure. So all you do is uh, you just take one big breath, and you can take a vowel like the R or the A, E, or um, yeah, any any vowels at all, really. But R is good because it's a it's a manifestation sound. And you take a breath, and you imagine this is the last breath of your life or the first breath of your life. And so if we just do it now all together, just take a big breath in and just sound out. And then you, when you get to the end of it, what's really important is when you get to the end of it, almost before you breathe in again, is just to be absolutely present right there to the silence that's there at the end. And then to breathe in, and as you breathe in, just ask yourself, who is singing? Okay, just you can just do that internally. Would you like to try it? As long as I don't have to make a sound out loud, I'm willing to try it, yeah. <laughs> now, Tammy, what is, you see, now even that is, question who is stopping that sound from pouring out of your mouth okay let's try it chloe let's try it let's try it let's do it <laughs> here we go uh, big breath and That's beautiful. How are you now? I feel quite good, thank you. I like the space after the sound. Mm -hmm. Yes. I do want to ask you one final question here, which is we started by talking about this community work that you're doing and its potential impact. And I know this is so important to you. And just as we end, I'd really like for you to share with us how you think this might grow. Do you really think this is the kind of thing that's going to become a movement across the world? Or is that kind of sort of a pie in the sky idea? What's your real vision here? Well, at one level, it doesn't matter. It actually doesn't matter because the world is singing anyway. I mean, the earth itself is just one huge vibrating song. Uh, but what I am aware of, that if human beings can get conscious of this reality, that the world is one huge uh, vibrating song, uh, that it will assist uh, the, the, the earth to, uh, it's, it's a way of, 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 of healing and um, assisting humanity to wake up to this new consciousness. Uh, I don't know quite so well what's going on in America, but there's absolutely no question uh, 
that in the United Kingdom and Ireland and across Europe, that there is um, a critical mass of uh, sound and singing going on. And I know that, uh, that I'm very aware of that, that that really is building in the UK um, right across. Uh, you may have heard, I don't know if you've heard of this uh, work going on uh, called The Choir. Um, there is um, an extraordinary being called Gareth Malone who has been teaching the most unlikely people to sing uh, just very regular songs. And this has really caught fire, and people are just joining choirs all over the country. And uh, I think, you know, the, the whole kind of uh, intervention of world music and uh, the um, increasing richness um, of uh, music that is assailing us from all sides as our communities become more and more multiculturally uh, involved with each other, that this also is contributing to this uh, process of participative sound and singing. Um, and there's no question that it offers an economic and effective way to significantly reduce the three, 30, I think in England there's something like 13 million days off work that people take, that are taken uh, by uh, people in the UK alone, just due to increasing levels of stress, isolation and fear in the face of redundancy in the you know, economic crisis and so on. Uh, so there's no question that sound and song is a very supportive uh, antidote, and like homeopathic response uh, to, to the sheer levels of increasing collective stress and so on. But in a way, at a deeper level, it's more to do with um, developing the tools of remembering that I am the world. I am the world. You know, that my body is a mirror of the world. So even if I myself do nothing else but find my voice and really keep investigating the question, who is singing, that that in itself is going to transform uh, the world as we know it. I've been speaking with Chloe Goodchild, and she has created with Sounds True a program called Awakening Through Sound. It's five audio sessions and then a DVD session of sound practices that incorporate body movements from a martial arts tradition called Shintaido. She's also created with Sounds True a two-session audio learning program called Your Naked Voice, which takes people through the process of the seven sounds of love, working with sound and movement up and down through the chakra system. Chloe is also a contributor to a Sounds True musical collection. It's called Songs of Tara. And I thought here at the very end of our conversation, we would play Chloe's contribution to this collection, the Songs of Tara. This is a song that's simply called Tara. And Chloe, I don't know if you have anything you want to say about this before we hear it. Well, uh, Tara, simply to say, she really is uh, another great archetypal feminine presence uh, that is really inspiring thousands of people all around the world, uh, regardless 
her religious position. Uh, I just been with uh, her in southern Spain um, at a Tara monastery there. But it's very interesting to me how Tara, uh, the goddess of compassion, is clearly um, a force uh, that is uh, supporting and generating more compassionate uh, energy in the world. And a beautiful way to end. SoundsTrue.com, many voices, one journey. Here's the song Tara from Songs of Tara. Singing in the unity 